Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. Do you know something that really interests me? The internet. And more specifically, Starlink. Now, you've heard me talk about Starlink, but I'll tell you a little bit more about it because it really is game-changing. So Starlink is a SpaceX initiative. We already have a couple of these Starlink satellites in low Earth orbit. They're only about 500 kilometers. I'm saying only, that's an understatement, but only about 500 kilometers above the Earth's surface. And what they do is they all connect up together to create a big mesh network, so a big network for your internet access, and they have a low latency, so that means it's quick, easy to connect to, and a very high bandwidth, so that means you've got fast internet, right where you need it. And that's pretty much anywhere. You don't need to worry about cell phone towers or, you know, cabled internet. Pretty much anywhere. If you set up a proper receiver, you can get some nice fast internet. And Starlink's, it's not only just for Earth. We, you know, it's already going to be rolled out for Earth, but think about having that on somewhere like Mars. Think about having something like that on the moon. Somewhere where you can have an internet for the entire planet, the entire globe of wherever you are. Now here's another question though, what if you were to try and link those interplanetary internets together? Now that's where, and I found a really interesting talk, uh, TED talk by Vinton Gray Surf, and he's one of the founding fathers of what we know today as the internet. And he explained about about the lasers uh, that we would use, more specifically femtosecond lasers. So if Femto sounds like a little bit of a made-up word, but it's not. It actually refers to massive pulse capability lasers. So that means you can have a proper response time. Because I gave an example. You know, if we were to control a rover on Mars and say we're driving it forward and we realize, oh no, it's going to go off the cliff. What are we going to do? Quickly, turn it around. Well, you're waiting 40 minutes for that to turn around. So obviously having femtosecond lasers would create a much quicker response time. And if we had an interplanetary linked network, we would be able to, possibly, you could have a Skype call with somebody on Mars. I mean, really, as we know on Earth, the internet really made the Earth seem a lot smaller and we're all more connected now. So imagine what we would be like if we had Mars connected. People would say, hey, you know what? I might just move to Mars. I can still contact my family and friends. Hey, it's just like an Earth. It's just I'm a little, little far away from home. But not only that, it would help explorers that are going around collecting all this information instantly transfer that information back to Earth so we could access it and, and research it and all of that interesting stuff. So I think you'll see more in the news about the Starlink satellite network because it is really something that's going to be game-changing for Earth. Tell you what, it'd be nice 
You don't need to worry about your internet kind of going down because maybe a pole got knocked over. It's all in space. So you've got nothing to worry about with it. And it's nice and quick. Now moving over into something that I honestly just found and I'm surprised I never found this earlier. I found a company called Exodus Space Corp. And I'll tell you, they've got an amazing team. First of all, the CEO, Miguel Ayala, worked at SpaceX on the Falcon rockets. He did the Orion spacecraft, he was part of that team, and the F-35 jet, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. So this guy definitely knows his stuff. They also have an astronaut, Jose M. Hernandez, who's all on board, as well as NASA Michael Genest, who worked on the space shuttle program. So you can kind of see where this is going. So there's this company, they have NASA astronauts, they have somebody who worked on the space shuttle program at NASA. The CEOs had experience from reusable rockets at SpaceX. So you probably guessed it, yes, they have their own reusable launch system. So they've taken a wide array of experiences from different projects and put together the best team. So when we look at their system, so their launch system, which is amazing, it's called the Astro Clipper. It's a hybrid between a plane and a starship. Now, why do I say that? Well, the first thing is it can launch 20 people into low Earth orbit. It's a very large craft and it, it looks like something out of sci-fi. But the most important thing with this is it can launch horizontally. Now, you see SpaceX, they have to build with a rocket, regardless of how reusable it is, you have to build a launch facility. Now, with this, you can launch on a, if you really wanted to, on an airstrip. That's how scalable this thing is. So it, it is, you guessed, it is looking like, kind of like a plane. However, what's cool is, uh, so the craft climbs up, it goes past 60,000 feet at Mach 2, so it's going really fast, it's blasting through. Then it detaches, it almost like splits in half. That's what the animation looks like. And the top part uh, goes off, obviously it keeps continuing up, it fires up its boosters. The first section, which we'll call the booster portion, which by the way is aerodynamic enough to land itself separately. So the whole thing all, all together is 100% reusable. It's incredible. Uh, and you're also now talking about launching pretty much from anywhere. It's a bit like what Virgin's doing with their launch system with their 747. They've got this rocket that they drop and it sends up into low Earth orbit, uh, a low satellite or something. They said the big selling point was, well, you can move the launch system, which is the 747, to a different airfield launch there. So it raises the question, you could actually launch anytime you want, regardless of weather. Hey, you know, if it's raining, it's not great weather here. Hey, we'll just fly for maybe three hours and we'll launch somewhere else that easy. So this definitely has a lot of benefits that not even SpaceX can compete with. So the launch system, as I said, launches horizontally and with a 20 people capacity to go up into low Earth orbit, so something like going to the ISS, it really is a future competitor, especially to the SpaceX Starship. So you've got another question to ask. You know how Starship we talked about is going to be actually doing Earth to Earth locations. So you go in Starship, you fly from maybe Portland, you go over to Australia, no problem, 30-40 minutes. You get there just in time, maybe for a meal, it's, it's nice. But this brings another competitor to the table because yes, we're going to be replacing aircrafts, but this is something that could be a lot easier to launch than possibly something like a Starship. And I should note, this is for Earth-to-Earth -Earth missions and also low Earth orbit. For something like going to Mars, Starship is king. It's very cool though to see what uh, some companies like Exodus Space Corp are doing and definitely go and check their website out and have a look at the Astro Clipper. So we have some not so great news. Alexa Leonov, who was the first man to walk on the moon, 
unfortunately has passed away. Uh, he was a real trailblazer. He was the Soviet-era astronaut, and or cosmonaut as they say over there, and he was 85. So he definitely left his mark on history. And interestingly, he was actually the first man to do a spacewalk. So he did the spacewalk back in March 18th, 1965. And I'll tell you, it really did pave the way for decades and decades of space exploration. So on Friday, Roscosmos tweeted uh, a tribute to the fallen cosmonaut and talked about all the achievements. So definitely left his steps on man's vision to go right into the galaxy. Now, here's something that just happened very recently. Uh, NASA had their presentation and they were talking about their spacesuits. Uh, so, you know, they've got the current spacesuits and they need a bit of an update. And Jim Burdenstein was talking about how we need the spacesuits because we're going to be doing this 2024 moon mission, which is not that far down the road. And he made it very clear that when we go to the moon, we are going there to stay. We're going to have a permanent base. Uh, so, it sounds like they're looking also at the south pole of the moon. Um, and obviously, it's because there's a lot of ice there. We're looking at Mars, and one of the major things is finding out where is the ice. Water is life support, but it's also rocket fuel. And he said once we go to the moon, the next step is obviously to go to Mars. And he made a date actually for that, being the mid 2030s. So he kept bringing up the Gateway Project as well, which kind of I'll lead into something else on that. And it seems like the most important aspect is to stay long term. Now, Gateway, as you remember, when we talked about it, the Gateway Project is the space station that would basically go around the moon. It's not like our space station on Earth, which is quite large. It's like a small house. Uh, it would be a lot smaller. Uh, unless we get the Bigelow expandable modules on it, then it would be quite quite a nice place to be. Um, but it's a small space station that will help with communications. And to see that they're going to have all of this done by 2024, it's nice. It's going in the right direction. So again, back to the spacesuits. Uh, now, this is the most important part, maneuverability. When you have a spacesuit, you need to be able to move your arms, move your legs. And the current spacesuits don't really do that. Um, yeah, you can kind of move your arms, but actually the legs are really stiff. Uh, and while they were doing the presentation, a astronaut from the ISS, Kate Rubens, uh, mentioned about that. And she said, you know, it, the legs, you can't really move them. They just kind of float around. And... Yeah, it's not very useful, especially if we're going to be walking on the lunar surface and Mars. We, we need to move our legs, right? Because you've seen, if you look at the old spacesuits when you had Neil Armstrong and, you know, they kind of do this bunny hop thing because you can't really move your legs. It wasn't because that was a quick, it was a quick way to get around, but they couldn't move their legs. They couldn't walk. So that is really important. And this new suit, you can move your legs, you can move the shoulders there's more mobility. Now, somebody asked a question and Jim Burdenstein did answer it. And it was, how are we going to get around radiation? Because, and even I've talked to people and they say, you know, it's all good, you know, you go to Mars, but isn't that super radioactive? You know, how are we going to prevent ourselves from getting radiated? And, you know, you could have a limited lifespan out there. And Jim really put it well. He said, well, what we need to do is get out of that environment as quick as possible. So going underground is probably the best thing you can do. And I did a bit of research into this, kind of see, well, what, what's going on with this underground kind of bases? And, you know, and we already know there's SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk, he has the Boring Company, and they're talking about making bricks to kind of create underground little caverns to start out uh, building on the Mars surface. But not only that, you can actually grow quite a lot of food 
undergrounds because you've got a climate that can be a little bit easier controlled. So there's a lot of benefits around it. So not only are you getting less radiation, but you can do a lot more. Now, importantly, those suits can be used over and over, and that means you could do a four-hour spacewalk every day, just as long as you refill the tanks, you know, charge the batteries, check for damage, but you could literally go out every day. And nearing the end of the presentation, Jim Bernstein talked a little bit about some businesses we could see in space, because you know, zero G, it opens up uh, quite a few possibilities. Uh, and he mentioned, you know, retina reconstruction, stem cell medical operations and fiber optic cable production because you know some of the stuff you've got very small components and you've got to fight gravity you need to kind of deal with rigging but not in zero g you don't need that in zero g uh, and like i talked about last space gen 3d printing in zero g has limitless possibilities and the potential is just out there you can create anything instead of like Think about it like this, you know, when we go somewhere, we need to pack very efficiently. And some, we might get somewhere and say, hey, you know, we don't, we don't need this shovel. Maybe we don't need uh, this, this gear or whatever. Now imagine instead you packed a large 3D printer and it had a whole bunch of printing material to make a 3D object and say, hey, I need to dig this hole. I'm going to print a shovel. You can actually do it on the spot. So that's kind of a creating a more self-sustaining aspect to the whole living on Mars because then, hey, now you can make your tools remotely on the location that you're actually at. And hey, think about it like this. We might find something on Mars that we never knew existed and we might not have the gear for it, but if we had a 3D printer, we could maybe print a apparatus or something to actually test uh, maybe the soil or, you know, a rig or something like that. You would have more flexibility and also it saves so much space. Now here's a really interesting one, the race for the world's first space birth, and it's all underway and it could happen as early as 2031. It may even happen a little earlier than then, but that's what they're saying right now. Now you know, we, we are talking about colonizing Mars and other places like the moons of Saturn and Jupiter, because you know, there's ice and there's all sorts of stuff over there that supports life. So having a space birth, it's a possibility is very important as well. So China uh, already wants to be the first to build a base on the moon. And some countries really want to have the first person conceived in space. Um, so Dr. Egbert Edelbroke, who's the chief executive of the research firm Spaceborn United, that's a great name. And he said, we have to be ahead of the curve and research all the dangers beforehand. Uh, other scientists at the conference shared uh, Edelbrook's concerns and they stressed the importance, you know, we need to conduct a lot of these kind of tests before we do any kind of a space conception uh, or any kind of a birth in an unethical manner. So we need to make sure that everything's okay. But really take a moment to think, what are the social impacts of this? Imagine if you were born in space, right? Humans grown up in space, how are they gonna look at Earth? It's, it's gonna be a totally different aspect Socially, I think there's a lot of interesting points uh, to bring up about this. So again, we'll have to see what they're doing with that. And especially with Starship just around the corner, uh, you know, you hear about planes and sometimes you have a, a pregnant mother's on the plane and she has to give birth and it's on the plane and it's kind of into international waters. Sometimes things like that, that get confusing. But imagine if you're on a Starship heading off to Mars, you're pregnant and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, We've got to take care of this situation. That's something that we need to plan ahead of. We need to take all this into consideration because becoming interplanetary is super important. And you know, if we want to stay out in the galaxy, we need to know all the facts before we go out and explore the stars.
Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM, or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.